Well, now of our Bible readings. The first reading can be found on page 710 of the Pew Bibles and is from Isaiah chapter 53, beginning at verse 4. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the New Testament reading is on page 82 of the Pew Bibles, the New Testament section, and is from Luke, chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here. For Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we just pray together? Lord, would you open the scriptures to us this morning as we read your written word and hear this spoken word. May we see above all the living word, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen. On Friday of, of this week, as I get on most weekday mornings, a letter arrived for me in the post. But when I picked up this letter, I noticed something different about it. It had my name on it, but most of the rest of the address was, was incorrect. So I was kind of looking at it a bit suspiciously, thinking, hmm, should I open this letter? Well, anyway, I decided to open this letter, and, and my suspicions of being a bit wary about it were correct. Because as I opened it, 
it had the word notice on the front. A notice of a, a parking violation that yours truly had committed near Liverpool Airport. My first thought was to think, will they really chase me in Jersey? <laughs> but I began to read the notice. And I began to look at these pictures thinking, how on earth have I done that? And then I started to put together what had, what had happened. You see, that'll teach you to get your mum to come over to look after your kids. Because that's how it happened, basically. I decided that I'd be kind and help my mum back to England. And so, as you know, she walks with a walker. She has a weak chest. And this particular Sunday evening that we were going back, there was still snow in Liverpool. It was very cold. And so I said to her, listen, I'll take the cases. I'll get the car hire. You just walk down and we'll meet somewhere. And so just after I got out the car hire, car parking area, I saw that she was walking ever so slowly down. And so I felt a bit sorry. I am her son, after all. And I said, I parked the car on the access road. Nobody else goes down the access road, by the way, but I parked the car, basically. And I got out the car, picked up the walker for her, put it in the car, and we drove off, thinking, what was wrong with that? Well, clearly I'd parked in an area where you were not allowed to park. And so, as a result of that, the demand for justice is I have to pay a penalty charge. And if I pay it in the next two weeks, I only have to pay half the penalty charge, but I've still got to pay a penalty charge for stopping in a zone that's prohibited. You know, what we, one way that we call what I've got to do is to atone. I've got to, if you like, self-atone for my actions. And self-atonement, when we think about it, is, is the practice in every faith system bar one. In every other faith system, when you commit an offence, you have to atone. You have to make amends. Whether that atonement looks like this, that you do some penance, or whether you do some good work, or whether you perform some ritual, or agree to keep the rules to a higher standard, that's the rule. When you offend God, you have to self-atone for your actions. And that's the case in every faith system about one. At the very centre of Christianity is the cross. Where because God so loved us so much, Jesus dies for us. He atones for us. And over the centuries, both the writers of the Bible and also the theologians have followed have tried to express in some way the meaning of what the cross represents. And when you look at what the biblical writers, when they talk about the meaning of the cross and why Jesus died and for what reason, you find that there's some common elements to them. You find that all the time it's God making the first move. You find, secondly, that that move is based upon his love. And thirdly, you find that Jesus dies for us. 
And in our Old Testament reading today, which you can see on the screens, or also you'll have on a handout if you've got one, you have one of the clearest statements. Centuries before it actually happened. Whether Isaiah foresaw in this way the cross or not, we don't know. But what we have in this Old Testament reading is one of the clearest explanations of one reason of why Jesus died and what his death accomplished. In fact, so important was this explanation that the New Testament writers and the early church leaders would all refer back to this event and this prophecy from the book of Isaiah. If you were here last week, I said how this particular passage in the Old Testament is the most quoted one in the New Testament. The New Testament writers, the early church leaders, all saw Jesus' death through this prophecy. In fact, Jesus himself saw his death through this prophecy. To give, you a, to give you an illustration of that, let me just read something. This comes from Peter's first letter, so the Apostle Peter. And as I read it, have a look at the words of the screen or on the handout and see if they look familiar. Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. There's Peter quoting, and if you read the verses before it, and if you read the verses after it in 1 Peter, you see so much more how he keeps referring to this prophecy. And so if we look at those words for a minute, and when we survey these three verses from Isaiah. What do you notice? This is what I noticed when I surveyed them this past week. The first thing I, I noticed, and I've kind of color-coded it for you, you can see it in the, in the words that are in blue and the words that are in purple, is this. Is the large use of pronouns. You know, there are 75 verses there and 17 of them are pronouns. And when you start to read the pronouns repeatedly, it reveals a pattern. A pattern that reveals the central idea of what's going on in this, in this prophecy. You can see it. Let's just read a few of them. He has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. He was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, when you, when you read the, the text, it be clear, becomes clear that something is happening to Jesus for us. Some transfer is taking place. But what? And so when I surveyed these verses again this past week, I also noticed something else. And you'll see it once more when you see the words on the screen. It's how you'll see the repeated use of different words to describe the same point of who we are as people. You see it in the green words. If we just put the, the words on the screen again, you can see it if you haven't got a, a handout. And what you see is, this is a common practice. Some of you might be students of English. 
and English literature, well, this is a common pattern that you find in Hebrew literature. What they keep doing is they repeat the same point over and over again from a different perspective. So sometimes you can be reading the Old Testament and you can look at it and say, well, how does that verse relate to that? And actually, in reality, what it means is this. They're just repeating the same point. So you can see the words there. They, they kind of repeat, he has borne our infirmities, our diseases, our transgressions, our iniquities, our punishment, gone astray, our own way, iniquity, and so on from there. And you can see it with the green words. And so when you read it, it becomes clear that something is happening to Jesus for us. But also it's happening to Jesus because of who we are. The words infirmities, the words we could say weaknesses, the words diseases, we could say our condition we live with, the words transgression, we could use law-breaking, the words iniquities is our immoral behavior, the words going astray, we could use the word wandering, the words own way, we could use the word rebellion. You see, each of those words is also known by another word in the Bible that we call sin. which means living our lives without God. It goes back right to the start of the creation of humanity when we broke a relationship with God and said, we don't want to live with you, God. And then when I surveyed these readings again, I noticed the center stanza. In Hebrew poetry, as I found out on my sabbatical, the most important part of Hebrew poetry isn't the beginning, it isn't the end, it's the center. And here you have, if you read the whole of Isaiah's poem, here you have the three central verses. And then when you move to the middle of the center verses, you see something more. It's these words. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises... We are healed. So we see something is happening to Jesus because of our sin to make us whole. So at the very centre of the poem is the very centrepiece of the biblical story of how Jesus dies on the cross to make us whole. The word whole there is really important. It's the Hebrew word, the very famous Hebrew word that you may not realise it, but we all know it the word shalom. It means, above all, peace with God. In other words, it means living in complete harmony with God, knowing his presence in his life, his goodness, his completeness, and his wholeness. And then when I surveyed this passage once more, there was one more thing that I noticed. And it was this, and I, and I couldn't get it away from it. It troubled me at first, but it's this. It's God taking the lead. It's God who's the initiator in this. He's, he's making this happen. We read it in verse 6. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the idea that 
the poem is trying to represent is this. The word laid there means meats. In other words, everything is meated and meets in Jesus on the cross. That's why it's such a, a huge event that it split history in two. But also that it never has to be repeated. If you like, it's a, a once-for-all event. Everything, past, present, and future, is all met in this event. And so when I surveyed this passage and putting it all together, Isaiah is prophesying, whether he knew it or not, of how Jesus died on the cross in our place to meet the past, present, and future of all sin. And this once-for-all act restores and makes whole our relationship with God. It's a truly amazing passage. On Saturday of this coming week, one year ago, a man woke up, thinking it was a day no different from any other. Every workday, he'd kind of gone through the same routine of getting up, spending time with his family, and going off to work. This day, though, would be different. Because later that morning, a gunman went into a supermarket in a small French town and killed two people before taking others hostage. The policeman in, in question went to the scene of where those events were taking place. Together with others, he managed to rescue most of the hostages. But then the gunman seized a woman and held her as a human shield. Because of this, the policeman in question volunteered to take her place. And in the process, he placed his open phone line on the table so his colleagues knew what was going on. It was on that phone line that the police then heard gunfire, that they stormed the supermarket, but by then the policeman in question had already been shot, and he died the next day from his wounds. You may remember the events in that small French town. He swapped places with the woman and gave his life for hers. Quite rightly, we, we praise his heroism, his self-sacrifice in dying for an innocent woman. And his actions also give us a glimpse into Jesus' actions on the cross, that Jesus swaps places with us. But when I, I think of Jesus, I stand amazed even more because the woman in the supermarket was just an innocent bystander. She didn't deserve to die, whereas Jesus died knowing that we are far from innocent and did deserve to die. The name we give to Jesus' act of dying on the cross is termed substitutionary atonement, where God has chosen someone else Jesus Christ to pay the penalty charge that is demanded for our sin. Of course, for, for many today, even Christians, we, we struggle with the central idea of the cross. It causes difficulty. Part of that difficulty is because we don't have a, a framework anymore for sin. We get conditioned into the lie that our culture tells us that we are good people 
who sometimes slip up. Whereas I'm always reminded of what, what Jesus even said. He said, no one is good except God. It happened a few years ago now, but when history tried to airbrush Jesus' death and resurrection out of history by changing the dates. But just because you change the letters after a date, the year is still the same. So also, just because we revise the language of sin, we can't revise the experience of it. We call it shame, don't we? And I've got enough evidence of it in, in, in my life to know that, whether it be the sins of the past that keep nagging away at us in our memory, or the sins from when we, before we knew Jesus, or the sins that still trouble us today. We can't get away from it. And we always need to hold that in perspective, in knowing that how deep our sin is at the same time knowing how deep the love of God is for us. Or as Tim Keller said, as I put on your hand out there, we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, yet more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. And so I want to leave you today with a, with a few thoughts of what that now means to live a life transformed by the cross and the first place we start and we always have to start here wherever we are because it's it's so important is this at the end of the day when the end of time comes we will stand before Jesus and there'll only be one question that he'll ask first of all it'll be this who is going to atone for your sin if you like and there's only two responses. We're either going to self-atone and leave it the risk in our own hands or we're going to say, you, Lord. In other words, the question is, for many of us, our baptism promises were said for us. In those words, do you repent of your sin that your parents or your godparents might have said? Or do you turn to Christ as saviour? Have you asked Jesus to atone for your sin? And then the, the second question is this. Is your framework of the cross wrapped around God's amazing love for you? You see, despite knowing who we are as people, the cross always has to be understood within the context of God's amazing love for us. If you don't, if you get that out of sync then it'll just mess with your head. When our sin screams at us, we've always got to understand that God's love for us screams louder. And then finally, many people look at the cross, and I, and I see it so much, people say it to me, and they see the cross as an insurance ticket to the next life. And Jesus never intended for that to be the case. He intended for us to know now the fullness of knowing in living in harmony in God, with God now. And so are we living 
And what does it look like for you to live in the fullness of God's shalom peace in your life when you, when you leave this place, when you go home, in the places that you will work or meet people or socialize? What does that look like? Let us pray. For our prayer today, I'm going to use the very famous hymn that you might have thought I referred to during what I said. So let us pray. And let's allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what he's saying to you. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them to his blood see from his head his hands his feet sorrow and love flow mingled down did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.